everybody, and welcome back for a special bonus episode of Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm here with uh, Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What's up, dude? We're also here with uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Pastor John Middendorf. Hello, John. Hey. Thanks, thanks for, for joining us. Yeah. As I said, I think last week, John may be our guest that I've known the longest, um, <laughs> perhaps even longer than Marty Michelson that we had on last year. But John, uh, you and I met in 1999 oh, wow. Um, when uh, you were then youth pastor right. at Oklahoma City First Church, the Nazarene, and right. I was a, a wee child uh, theology major at Southern Nazarene University. You interned with us a little bit, I did, did you not? A place yeah. to begin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, I was an intern for my freshman year there, and I decided mm-hmm. that was not the not the path for me. So it worked. So the internship worked. It did. I yeah. It saved me $1,000, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> which is like now four months of my payment, I think. So, um, so uh, yes, but I... It is. I said this the other day to uh, to a friend, um, a guy I just met, a pastor at uh, Church of the Harvest that I connected yeah. uh, over email. That it's funny how much those experiences we all have, like those formative experiences, maybe our freshman, sophomore year of college when you've left home and you're kind of getting out and figuring out what the world looks like, um, how much that sticks with you. And so, there are things about let's fix this. If I'm being totally transparent, things that we do now. Um, about relationships and um, patience and tolerance and forgiveness and reconciliation and, and those themes that were seeds planted, you know, literally 20 years ago um, that I never expected then I would be here now. And it's funny yeah. how they stick with you. So, yeah. Um, so we, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah. Glad to be here. Uh, I know we uh, wanted to visit you and I've tried to, find a time that worked for both um, for you to be on the show to talk about really the intersection of, of faith and the church and politics, yeah. which is a, a tricky spot. And I think in Oklahoma, those two issues are inexplicably intertwined yep. probably for a few reasons, but um, I, uh, I may have said this to you before, but I, I heard a, I think a, a friend years ago that said a good, a good pastor, good minister preaches with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, right? To like bring the word to connect with um, the current day, right? Current events. And that if you go too far either way, right? Like two hands in the Bible is um, irrelevant. Right. Not careful. Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And then two hands on the newspaper is not biblical and you're missing something. And I would say not like, yes, irrelevant, but dangerous too. Right. Um, For sure. Right. um, Yeah. If you're not, if you're not careful. And so, um, and so to, how do you, as a, as a, a minister, how do you try to strike that balance and how do you reconcile those two worlds? Well, it's tough in Oklahoma, um, to make a, a good case for the church when, and I, and I warned you before, that's kind of a, a soapbox hot button <laughs> issue for me. So we, we specialize in those. Okay. That's all we have really. It just strikes me um, that we have more churches per capita than all but one or two states and uh, more churches and pastors and Christians per capita than all but one or two of the larger cities in the in the country. Hmm. And yet we are at the bottom of some of the worst lists, um, a lot of the worst lists, uh, teenage pregnancy, 
addiction, divorce, obesity, suicide. I mean, you, you name it, we are going to be near the, the bottom. And so when you have that many problems and you have that many churches, it, to me, it, it talks about how disembodied the gospel has been around here for a long time. Mm-hmm. The gospel has been about souls for a long time, but the gospel has not been about bodies nearly often enough mm. because it, it, my particular tradition, which is I'm a Nazarene minister. We were built uh, out of the Methodist tradition. If you track us back, we end up being Catholic, right? Um, <laughs> my, my deep belief that this has been drilled into my head from the first days. Um, my deep belief is that we are not just prepared for the hereafter, but we're also prepared for the here. And the gospel is meant not just to save one's soul, but to improve the quality of one's life and not just mine, but those around me. And so the gospel and churches then should be benefits to their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But what I see as often as not, uh, I see a neighborhood deteriorate and then a church pretty quickly thereafter looking for greener pastures. And so we actually move out of the places that we're actually designed to be. Mm -hmm. And we, we take the gospel uh, we disembody it and we move it to the more affluent part of town in the hopes of being a better investment. I don't know. Right. Look at us. Yeah. Well, that's funny because I think, so the the opposite of that would be to lean in to where you're at, to right. your physical location, to the people there, to the needs of that community. That's right. And I, I mean, I think especially now, it strikes me that we see that, I see that with politics, right? That we, that one of two things happen. People go, uh, full on weird on Facebook and just only post political memes, most of which are not based in fact or reality, or they totally disengage and -hmm. pull out and decide like, it's all a mess. I don't want to be involved. And they don't engage at all. They don't vote. They don't pay attention. And then neither of those is helpful. Right. Right. Well, I, I mean, okay. So given that I, that I think the gospel has to have skin on it, I think that necessarily means that the gospel is a political conversation. Mm. But what I think we need to try to avoid is it being a partisan con- conversation. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to tell our people, um, because of what we believe about the gospel, and, and by that I mean what we believe about the, the triumph of the resurrection and what resurrection life can and should look like, we get involved with issues like literacy. We get involved with issues of food security, of violence and exploitation. We do all of those things. And are those things political? Absolutely, because the gospel is political. But it's, it's, we try not to be partisan, however. What, I 100% agree. I guess one of the questions that I have, or one of the things that I think about when, when we talk about that, that aspect of, you know, being a being a Christian or or faith and in, in politics, and in a little background, you know, I talk with friends or family or whoever, and you know, we talk about different policies. Like, what do you think about you know investment in like you know whether it's education or public health care or mm-hmm. you know food food security, mm-hmm. food stamps, etc. And one of the things that I hear a lot is, well, it's not that I don't think those things are important, but that is something that like the church should be taking care of, and we shouldn't be reliant to you know put air quotes there 
on governments to try and fix those problems because that's what the role of the church should be in society. And then, you know, you bring bring up your observation that Oklahoma has more churches and more self-declared evangelical Christians than many places in the country, and yet we still have those huge problems. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're 100% right that that the gospel is absolutely a political document and it's a political conversation. But I guess in your mind, what does that look like? Does that mean that like as Christians or I don't even want to limit it to just Christians cuts too, but should people of faith, whatever that is, is the vehicle for that political conversation within their faith organization or is it within advocating to their, to the government to do those things? Is it both? Like, what is that? Does that, does that question make sense? It makes perfect sense. I, w- I would say it is whatever gets the job done. Um, and in my experience, I understand what people are saying. We, we should have people of faith doing these things and we shouldn't rely on the government to do these things. But I have, I have two thoughts about that. I am, uh, I think you've already heard me say, I, I think if we're going to wait for the churches as so many are currently constructed to handle poverty, we're, we're going to wait forever. It's not going to happen. <laughs> At least the track record suggests that we're not going to handle illiteracy. We're not going to ha- handle poverty. We're not going to handle hunger if we wait for churches. They're moving out of those areas. Right. They don't want to have anything to do with them. So I, I think uh, just the the tons of anecdotal evidence suggests that that um, that is not a workable solution. But I also think, believing as I do, that all life and all space is sacred I even believe, I believe uh, that the gospel uh, reaches into the halls of power, and I believe that this very creative God can make use of systems like governance, uh, like economic systems. I don't think that those two need to be seen as mutually exclusive. A a, a voice that would be very important to me in my tradition is is the voice of John Wesley. Mm -hmm. And Wesley, an Anglican priest who would for all intents and purposes, be understood as the father of Methodism, kind of had three iterations, like first, second, and third Wesley. (laughs) And third Wesley, as he got older, recognized how important it was that he get to know his elected leadership and then also be in a position to advocate for Mm -hmm. particular policies. He even, it looks like, he even got into the detail of writing policy. And in his mind, this was a way to bring the gospel to bear. So... I would probably reject that these things have to be mutually exclusive. In fact, I would say, okay, well, what's the task before us? It it is to heal and mend lives and households and neighborhoods in a city. And so I think we probably um, should use all available assets and resources to accomplish the work. And there are some things that the church can do better than the government. And there are some things that the government can do better than the church. And we should celebrate both. Do you, so that kind of brings me to um, maybe an issue or a question that um, that I know Scott and I have talked about that cert- certainly the church is not detached from our state capital, right? And right. Um, to quote a, a former representative that um, shall remain nameless on this podcast, um, they said that Oklahomans thought that we were electing businessmen and, ba- and uh, lawyers, and what we got was farmers and pastors, yeah. and that's not bad but it's different right like if you're expecting one skill set and you get the other it's it's very different and i think that comes out and, and maybe this year is different than years past it's a definitely more 
kind of even keel. I don't know if moderate's the right word, but uh, definitely a more even keel legislature so far. Um, but it, it strikes me that maybe there's one or two like main issues that really that if you that really divide things and you, and you um you mentioned like uh, that the church should not be partisan right but the way that we have self-sorted ourselves um that if you tell someone you're a christian most folks will assume your yeah. party affiliation right. likewise if you tell someone you're a republican they will assume your party your your religious orientation even though there are millions of evangelical Christian Democrats, mm-hmm. they have not branded themselves as such. And how do you see that playing out both in the church and, and with policy at like the state level? So when I, when I say that the, the church and pastors shouldn't be partisan, I, I mean that as a first lens through which we would see a, um, a policy at work or uh, a first lens through which we would interpret um, ourselves or a situation. It, it may be as I advocate for a particular policy or as I advocate for a particular position um, that I will end up on one side of that fence or another, but it's not because I am first of all a Republican or first of all a Democrat. It's because I'm a, I'm a Christian who happens to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. And it also stands to reason then that I'm, I might be understood as <laughs> either, mm-hmm. right? Depending on what the, depending on what the, uh, the topic of, of conversation is. Now that said, I do think that the church, when it works the, the way that, I, I think I want to say this, the way God wants it to work, <laughs> <laughs> is a place where wolves and lambs can sit together. Um, I think the church, if it's doing what God calls it to do, and if it is uh, being who God calls us to be, then we are people who can understand that peace is not simply the absence of conflict, right? Mm -hmm. But it is uh, me reaching out to the other who may differ from me, who may disagree with me, who may even be a threat to me, but figuring out what relationship might look like symbolized by that, that compelling image for for me, at least of the, of the wolf and the lamb. Mm -hmm. What I, what I don't have much patience for are the, the Christians who want to say, because I'm Christian, I'm kind of Switzerland on all of these different... I, that right. just drives me insane. <laughs> what I would rather see is... I, I would rather see a Christian say, man, um, there are great points to be made on either side of an argument. Mm-hmm. And I can befriend and I can... Um, trust even folks on either side of an argument and I can work toward peace, not because I don't have an opinion, but because I I can care for and sympathize with either side. Right. I will, I will say one of the, one of the most beautiful moments that I've experienced since being involved with let's fix this was last year, um, during the teacher walkout. Um, so well, probably obviously the most polarized, well, one of the most polarizing issues, the intersects politics and faith is abortion, right? Right. And, um, somehow education has crept up there as well because it's polarizing in and of itself. And so during the walkout, um, the Oklahoma Conference of Churches, mm-hmm. um, and there's like a group, I think it's them, but there's a group of faith leaders that 
organized a, a prayer vigil right at the Capitol. Were you there that yeah. day? Did I see you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had my son with me, and um, and my son's aunt, his his mom's sister, is a is a minister as well, and um, and it was a uh, inter. Uh, not just denominational, but like interfaith, inter, interfaith mm-hmm. prayer vigil, right? And so we mm-hmm. lined the rotunda on the fourth floor, and everyone mm-hmm. held hands and um, and shared in a prayer and sang this little light of mine, mm-hmm. and um, which is such a, I mean, like it's, it doesn't even it doesn't really say anything about God or Jesus or any other like deity or faith leader. It's but such a, a humble and simple song that even my son, who was like. I guess he was six um, at the time up to the older folks that were there. It was just a peaceful time. Yeah. And, and it wasn't even for any policy. It was really just about like, Hey man, this is uh stuff is stressful right now. Yeah. So like, how about a little bit of peace, a little bit of grace, a little bit of clarity um, for those that work in this building and have to make these decisions. And for the 30,000 people that are gathered outside. Um, and, and it was, um, even though it's crowded, it, there was a simplicity about it that cut through to me that um, it's still, I say it stuck with me for a while. It still does, I think. And um, I would love to see more of that where it's, it is a coming together for a common cause yeah. rather than um, a divisiveness for the sake of a win. Right, right. I, uh, I'm i tired, so I can only imagine that our overly church context is really tired of Christians who have to win every argument. Christians <laughs> Christians are perfectly suited to be collaborators. And they should be at least. I mean, this particular gospel that I'm talking about relieves me of my responsibility to defeat everyone. I can actually serve right alongside in Chassi. Love that guy. Rabbi Harris. Um, I remember that day in particular. I remember Lori uh, Walkie was a a, a uh, shockingly effective song leader that day, if I remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that those are pictures of us at our best, and we when we probably have the greatest potential to get stuff done mm-hmm. um, when it's collaborative. It isn't it? I mean, it's a hard for me though, um, because you know, last year there were some members of the legislature, particularly in the House, they would they would take that spirit of. Um, congeniality and affection and love, right? And acceptance. It was present in the rotunda at 7.30 a.m. And they would walk into the chamber and not an hour later use that same rhetoric to marginalize right. our fellow Oklahomans that right. they didn't like. And that, and we, it's been different this year, right? I mean, this week, uh, Governor Stitt like met with mm-hmm. the Muslims for a yeah. Muslim day at the Capitol right. for the first time ever in the five years they've been doing it. And, and knowing um, uh, Adam and knowing the Iman and some of those guys that, that led that group there, it was a huge day for them, right? Mm. Like, and even they, like, they know they don't agree on every policy, right? Sure. But like, I don't agree with my own mother on everything either. <laughs> right. And we can still get <laughs> or, along. Or most things. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. right. And so, I mean, but we still get along and I, and I love her. And, um, and I think we lose that when it comes to religion and politics yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, it just, it is, I don't know. It's really frustrating to, to watch because it has so many, it has so many, um, repercussions. I feel like that, you know, evangelical Christians, um, 
specifically, and there's some <clears throat> data to support this, white evangelical Christians in particular, mm-hmm. um, have become in some ways almost single issue voters. Um, and that's, and that's, I don't, I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what we're called to be. Right. Um, I don't think you can, I don't think you can boil Christianity or, um, Islam or Hinduism or Judaism or any, any other of these faiths down to one thing. And that if you stand for this one thing, that means you're part of our group. And if you don't stand for this one thing, you're not part of our group and you can, you can't be right. Um, and that's frustrating because that has so many policy implications like down the road. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, very um, much. and I don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're, I don't know what you do about that. Right. Like, I don't know how that, I don't know how that changes. Um, well, yeah, I'm not either. I mean, so the idea of the other, right. Um, I picture, um, churches I've been in where someone came in on a Sunday morning for service who didn't, who was new, who didn't look like everyone else, they're homeless or whatever. And they would walk in and, and the way that the congregation responds, particularly I grew up in, you know, the church, of the Nazarene, most are small churches. So usually a hundred to like 200 people. And if like that one, um, transient member of our community happened to walk in, like most everyone raises an eyebrow and then like one person goes over to say hello and you don't know from a distance if they're trying to welcome them or get them to leave. <laughs> right. And so like, um, so maybe the question is, cause that same, the same thing happens at the Capitol too, right? Like, um, where someone from the opposite party or someone who from the same party doesn't quite like this person's awfully liberal for a Republican or really conservative Democrat. Like how do we, how do we embrace and like accept the other in a way that moves the whole forward? It's, it's tough, right? Because, you know, in my line of work, there are times when, if I am outside of church circles, I'm often the most conservative person in a room of liberal people. And when you are the most conservative person in a room of liberal people, they will tend to question your brain and your mind. Mm-hmm. But then I have other opportunities to be the most liberal person in a group of conservative people. And I'm stealing this quote from somebody else. But when I am the most uh, liberal person in a room full of conservative people, they question my heart. Yeah. Ooh. Does that make sense? Ooh, yeah. yeah. And my intentions, right? And I, and I, that's when I'm brought back to some core tenets of my faith journey that are probably captured in images. And one of them is, is the already mentioned wolf and lamb. Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily completely defeated by um the presence of by the way in that situation everybody thinks they're the lamb <laughs> right right everybody thinks they're the right. lamb. The wolf's the bad guy that's right, right. yeah that's right. right everybody thinks they're the lamb so i'm not completely <laughs> defeated when i recognize that i'm in one of those situations but i but i am aware that it's hard to get wolves and lambs to collaborate and to trust one another and to um but it's my calling too so I'm okay mm-hmm. for it to take some time. I think you just kind of, I mean, someone's hit the nail on the head. Like there's no, um, we've 
and, and I think that part of this has to do with, and I don't want to say the injection of religion into politics because religion has always been part of politics. Right. Like this is not, um, this is not a new phenomenon. I think it looks maybe different now than it might have 30, 40 years ago, yeah. but I think it's, you know, it's always been there in one form or another and kind of cycles up and down. But, um, I think one of the, one of the side effects from the current, intersection with religion and politics is that there's just what you're saying. There's no trust, right? Like there's like, there's no trust. And we tend to see people who disagree with us, not just as wrong on a policy, but evil. Right. Right. Enemy. Um, like mm-hmm. they are like, we don't agree about this thing. And so they are, they are bad mm-hmm. and they are dangerous and they are to be stopped at any cost. Right. Um, and that is, just to me, I don't, I don't care which side you approach it from. That's incredibly dangerous. Well, it's terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I like and, you just called it out like that. Like, it's, it's, it's terrorism, and uh, I've seen Christian folks invo- uh, involve themselves in perhaps nonviolent, at least physically speaking, nonviolent terrorism, but terrorism nonetheless. I mean, you're right. Um, it's a holy war that they're fighting, and so they'll stop at nothing to win. Hmm. I mean, that's I mean, that's one of the things I get, and I'm, I'll, you know, I'll probably take flack for this. I don't know, but like when uh, from both our listeners, yeah, right, from both of them, <laughs> both <laughs> lis- both <laughs> listeners will get mad at me on Twitter. Um, no, so uh, we we I don't know if you listen to the show. I'm yeah. I'm sure. You, you do? Phil? I do. He's one of the two listeners. Yes. Get that man a sticker. <laughs> it's him and Effie, him and Effie Craven. Um, no, hi, Effie. Um, no, so um, we have our Pruitt Watch segment, right, where we uh, discuss what news former EPA Administrator Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt is making that week, and it's always, it's often not flattering. Um, he has um, his own theme music. Uh, he does have it. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Hashtag Brewer Watch. Um, when he resigned uh, from his role in, in the federal government, he wrote a letter to President Trump that was talking. Uh, I, I don't. I probably have it on my phone still somewhere, but talking about I know like that God uh, put you in this position and like you're president because that's what God willed and like God wanted and like I mean like you're like the divinely ordained like president. And one of the things that I just get incredibly frustrated about, and I, and this is true no matter who is saying it recently, it more often comes from conservative circles, but I just, do people not understand how dangerous it is to claim divine authority when you get elected for something, right? Like when you claim to be appointed by anointed by, or like in some way speaking for, like God, whatever God looks like, that's that's just incredibly dangerous. For sure. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that's incredibly and it's and it just um it's really like upsetting to me to like watch and see these break like these discussions happen because it's like no one, no one, Republican, Democrat, left, right, no one in this debate like knows the mind of God and what that looks like. Um and I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say um, there are some people who are are merely exploiting people of faith to accomplish their own partisan ends. Mm. But short of that, I, I think there are some people who end up saying uh, 
President Trump or whoever the president might be in a given moment is who God ordained to be there because that's how they understand theology and time and history to work. Sure. So there are some people who believe that if it is, it is because God designed it to be that way. Now, my tradition does not hold that. But they're saying like the the fact that it happened is evidence that it's what God wanted because anything that happens is what God wanted. And so so history is a book that God wrote a long time ago and you are on a particular page and you really don't have any choice but to do what is written on your particular page, whether it's you or me or Donald Trump. Yeah. To those people, I say read Genesis 1. But they... But they believe it's not it. going to work. <laughs> but they but they deeply believe it, and since they believe it, um, they believe that the the president's words must carry weight for them. Mm-hmm. Now, in my tradition, we we believe in a more open universe, mm-hmm. and we believe that um, one of the greatest compliments that we give to God is the exercise of free will, and we believe that God is big enough to. <laughs> Like a, like a parent with, with a kid who obviously has free will and can wreck your life in a thousand different ways, and yet a parent can still be a parent, we understand mm-hmm. God to have that same imagination and capacity sure. to be able to work in and through. Because we will say that as opposed to God being up over time, we like to say that God is in time with us, mm-hmm. with us. So there, I so I have some sense of I'm not sure what exactly to call it. I think it's I think it's I have some appreciation for people who are merely being obedient to and faithful to their own tradition, which tells them if it is, it's because God meant for it to be. I think I mean I get that because it's to me kind of, that's kind of a relief, right? Like you're like oh well, this is all supposed to be this way. I can I can just. Uh, release and accept that this is the way it's supposed to be and I can lean in however I need to in this moment and that can evolve with time as it goes along. Right. Um, that's, I get that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a, and that's a great point that there's that kind of, you know, theological orientation. And mm-hmm. if that's what you're bringing to the table, then that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I, I think it's one thing, um, I think it's one thing for me or you or anyone else as a voter to say, well, I trust President Trump because I believe that God put him there for a reason. Yeah. I think it's another thing for like a senior official in the United States government. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? To yes. say, well, we have to trust President Trump because God put him there for a reason. Yeah. I mean, do you know what I mean? I do. And I, and I think that the, that the faith that I just described that some people hold and they grip with great honesty. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, um, first, I think there are, there are people out there who would exploit that faith. Right. And, and, bank on people feeling that way so as to say to them and so when he says to do this you have to do this right and vote this and post this and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing so i think that's Mm -hmm. part of it and by the way i just just for anybody listening that this 100 percent swings both ways i would have the exact same level of discomfort with you know the secretary of defense saying that about president obama or you know whoever our, our next president is whatever i just I get I don't have I don't have any problem with an individual like person having that kind of like I think that's a completely legitimate kind of theological framework to have. It's not the one that I have, but it's it's that it's a totally like 
that's fine. It just makes me real. It makes me. It kind of gets a burr under my saddle. There like, are ramifications. Yeah, I get. Yeah. I get a little anxious when like senior government officials like seem to invoke that as a justification for you know the use of power in any for sure context. Well, because for sure. kind of is that because like overt religious um, tones to government is perhaps the reason that we founded this country to get away from? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know. Makes me uncomfortable because we literally I, left the last place for that same reason. Know? Well, it's, it's, and it's, it makes me uncomfortable because, you know, I mean, this is this is a little bit of a digression, but I think it's it's not too far off. Um, I read an, um, an article this week that was astounding to me. Um, and there is, it's not mainstream. Like it's not widespread. Is it lamestream? No, it's not lamestream. <laughs> it is on, it is on the periphery, but there are people, there are respected people on both sides of the aisle talking about the possibility of like civil war in this country and they're not being facetious. Yeah, right. But like, I mean, and, are and crazy, man. No, but, but that's what, but that's my point though. The people who are writing this and saying this are not people that are crazy. Like now, they're not saying that it's likely. Aren't they're they? not saying, <laughs> they're, right? Like they're not people. They're not saying that they think it's likely. They're not saying that they think it's something that's going to happen. But they are. There are. There are historians, people who are reputable, academic, like political historians, who are saying if you look at where the country is, kind of right now. It is not that dissimilar to how it was in about like 1856, 1858. Now, they're not trying to, like, I want to be really, really clear. I am not saying that I think we're headed towards a civil war. I'm not saying that, like, these people aren't, that's not the case that they're making. The case that they're making is, I think 20 years ago, you would have said there is zero chance of that happening in America. And now there are people saying it's a non zero chance. Okay. Well, yeah, right. So 20 like, years. 20 years ago, you had said zero chance, but like 40 years before that, like back in the 60s, it was a very real chance. Stuff was nuts. Yeah, I, They I, literally shot the president. Like things were going down, man. I, I, MLK got shot. Like lots of people Kent got State. Like, Kent I, State happened. Like, and I, that's so that, I'm cutting you off on purpose because um, it is of great solace to me to talk to some of my seniors, right? So, like, one of my staff is, um, I think, in her early 70s. And and when like weird stuff happens, like painful stuff in our country where it feels, you know, shootings and attacks and whatever, and, um, you know, white supremacist rallies and all and I, right. I went into her office and I was like, Linda, has it ever been this bad? And she's like, yes. Right. Oh God, the sixties were terrible. Right. And I was like, and okay, I, good. Thank you. Right. Right. I just, the, the reason that I bring that up, I didn't bring that like, and like I said, the, the reason I'm not bringing it up to try and like give credence to that. But what I am saying is one of the things that I think dials that up that like injects an extra level, like it's like pouring gas on the fire is the injection of religion into these like, Oh sure. Disagreements. Because right. It becomes dogmatic then. Right. right. Because then it becomes not an issue. Like it's more than just who has the right policy. Right. It's like who is on the side of what's right. Of, and right. Just like capital right. R, right. Yeah. You know, and, and that's like, so yes, holy war. Holy War, right? Yeah. yeah, like which is ironic because the folks that usually are advocating for this or against Holy War is another <laughs> faith background. Anyway, like it's just a funny where I'm just like you're doing the same thing, man. Yeah. Um, 
So to kind of shift gears slightly, we've I feel like we've talked a lot about how faith influences or informs politics, um, but certainly it happens the other way yeah. too, right? So invariably as a as a pastor and minister, things that happen out there in the world, outside the walls of your church, right. um, come into play and people come into your office or catch you after service or whatever. What is that like for you and how do you handle that? Well, some of that's going to happen if, in fact, I am preaching with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper on the other. So mm-hmm. some of that I, I would put into the good category, maybe even a healthy category, because the church has to have opportunity to sort through what the gospel looks like in 2019 in the streets there in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. So I, I think some of that's good. The, the, the challenge for us is to continue to pound away at uh, identity issues and identity questions. Like, who, who are we? Because if I am, uh, let's say, a Republican who happens to be a Christian, well, that is a particular lens mm-hmm. through which to see all of life. But if I'm a Christian that happens to be a Republican, that's a little different. Right. And so we, we try to... Um, say that in age-appropriate ways just as soon as people can can string words together so we're saying it to our little bitty kids and we're saying it to our adolescents and our college students and our young adults and our older adults and frankly it's 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 the older generations like mine and up who who struggle to make sure Mm -hmm. that we are a christian before we are anything else i this is off topic, but as you were saying that story and discussing children, I, I distinctly remember a Wednesday night when I was a youth intern where we didn't have an activity. And so we threw bologna at a dry erase board as a bullseye <laughs> <laughs> slices of bologna. It's very effective. That was amazing. The teens loved it. Um, that was, There was no political nor uh, religious context for that. We just needed them to have a, an hey, activity. Man, let's see if we can think of one. <laughs> what could be the political conquer bologna on the wall? Well, there's a... Plenty of political content, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Religious, it's not a... It's Religious not a, may be the tougher one. Right, yeah, <laughs> definitely unclean, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, oh man, I had a, man, I had a good question and I lost it because of the baloney. <laughs> Story of my life. So how often that happens. If I had a nickel, yeah. Oh, rim shot, where is it? <laughs> oh, sorry. You've, you've got to have the rim shot ready to go. We I, need it like three times an episode. <laughs> there oh, it God. is. Um... So, um, man, I have to cut this part out, although we've got video now and it's tougher to edit. Um, (laughs) So if um, you're going through your week, right, Um, and I would assume as a minister, there are, you talk to some folks and they come to you with distinctly religious issues, right? Like a crisis of faith or something. Right. Does heaven exist? I don't know. Yeah. and then you have some people that come to you with distinctly human issues, right? A, a crisis of finances. Like, I'm going to get evicted. I don't have enough food. Um, what happened? I'm going to get deported, these sure. things. Um, what's that like for you? Like, as a not just as a pastor, but like as just a person? Um, those are... I hope this makes sense. Those are incredibly difficult and sometimes really delicate, delicate situations that I find to be incredibly exhausting and at the same time, incredibly meaningful. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm, I'm honored when people bring all of that to me. It, it gives me another chance to, to testify to the ubiquitous nature of this kingdom. Um, there are times when, I, when folks get frustrated with me for, for saying that there is no such thing as a sacred and secular divide unless Christians insist on it. <laughs> um, but when Christians don't insist on dividing the sacred from the secular, then I, then I think everything can be seen as having sacred potential, an eviction notice, um, someone struggling to make ends meet, um, a, a, a violent encounter within a family system, as nightmarish as, as that is. Mm-hmm. But, but all of it can be sacred space which is to say that um, another thing about Wesleyans and folks like me, we, we believe in this, this thing called providential means and agencies, which in, it's easiest to explain in medical terms. Um, we will absolutely pray for you. If you come to me and you say, hey, I've got cancer, will you pray for me? We will absolutely pray for you. And we do the thing where we anoint people with oil, representative of the the very sticky presence of God who will stick with you um, via God's spirit. But we will also send you to an oncologist. And we believe that that oncologist and the, the practice of medical science and perhaps radiation or, or chemotherapy and all the different things that go into fighting cancer and hopefully defeating cancer, we believe all of that is also what we're praying for when we anoint you with oil. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's it in a medical nutshell. But we believe those things too about a, a therapeutic situation. Someone walks in and says, hey, I'm, I'm depressed. What can you do for me? Well, we're going to pray for you and then we're going to find you a therapist. Mm-hmm. And if medication is, is necessary, then we're going to celebrate the ways in which God can use medication to help accomplish this healing. But if it's a situation like you've just described, we believe that there are resources and agencies in the city that can in the same sorts of ways be used as tools in God's hands to accomplish a good thing. And we will not, we will not, because I I don't believe that there has to be a divide between the sacred and the secular. It doesn't have to be a Christian person to deliver a Christian good. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. If I, if I send somebody to uh, remerge or if someone is in the remerge program and they never make a faith commitment whatsoever, but their lives are recovered. I I give God a lot of credit for that because God can work in and through situations and organizations and and God doesn't have to have badges every time something good really (laughs) happens. Can you imagine like a sash? Yeah. A giant sash. Look how many people (laughs) that I have reclaimed. Um, You guys watch Bruce almighty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All the prayers. Yeah. 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 The emails he gets. Yeah. yeah. Just auto reply. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. And I, I like the example of, uh, of remerge. Um, cause that's a, a program that is love those folks near and dear to yeah. my heart. If you're not familiar yeah. with remerge, go to their website, check it out. They do fantastic work. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, and I think often what I see and have to some degree participated in, right. Is that, um, like everything else, the the line of identity between Christians and non-Christians, right? So um, is a big group. And there's a lot of folks that like were Christians and had a bad experience and were left the church for a variety of reasons um, or 
pulled back or whatever. So that that line um, is often equated with good guys and bad guys, right? Yeah. Same thing with party affiliation, right? Good guys and bad guys. And yep. Scott and I, I know Scott, you've already read uh, the book called uh, Uncivil Agreement. Yes. And I'm so good. I'm reading about halfway through. It's kind of taking a back seat. Hope I'm going to finish it before the end of March for sure. Got a whole month. That's a goal. Um, it's it's not a very big. It's like a pretty thin book, so I should definitely do that. Um, it's, but it's, it's it's thin, but it's dense. It is dense. A lot of charts. There's too. it's 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 not a light read. Anyway, I'll post this on a on a blog post. But uncivil agreement, and it's about how we as Americans have self sorted uh, ourselves yeah. so that all of these things, all of our identities, used to be cross cut in lots of ways, right? So you would have like. Um, you know, gay black Republicans mm-hmm. who cared about these issues that are, but that's not the way it is anymore. Like now it's Republican Democrat. And like you, so many of your identities kind of line up in each column. Right. Um, conveniently. And I think faith is one of them. Right? right. And and this is kind of where we started. I think today, um, when that happens, uh, and people view you, um, not just as the liberal in the conservative group or the conservative in the liberal group, but you as the Christian who is a bad guy. Um, and and they assume from the get-go that, oh, you're a pastor where you must believe in abortion and guns and these things that are not listed in the Bible necessarily, but like, and a whole bunch of other things, like they, they kind of project these on you. How do you, how do you respond to that? How do you operate in a way that can can bring about meaningful change. Yeah. Uh, I, well, first of all, I'm I'm probably going to do some math and and determine if I have time to effectively apologize for what he or she has experienced, and then uh, determine whether or not I will have time to embody an alternative narration. what they've experienced and it's not that I won't try if after doing the math I see that I won't have the time it's just that I know that I won't have the time Mm -hmm. and folks may actually take my um, uh, my claims to the contrary as evidence that I'm a liar anyway Mm -hmm. right if I only get five minutes in passing with someone who's going to drop all of those labels on me. I don't know how much I can do. And my protests probably only feed their suspicion of me. Right. Right. Why defend when you can maybe do something more productive? Yeah. So, and so it's not that I won't try, but I hope that I don't ever violate the message by my tone. I hope I don't ever do that. I don't, I don't, the older I get, the less I feel the need to defend if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But I am actually looking for those relationships if I think I have a long-term opportunity to um, do a little bit of reputation therapy <laughs> for for me and for folks like me. I, I don't want to, like I'm not going to disavow my connection to the Church of the Nazarene or to Christendom, right, or to evangelicals out there. Um, I sometimes wish for better terminology. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> right? But I'm not going to disavow all of those connections and all those relationships. I am them and they are me at some level. You know, I, there's a there's an author and speaker that I read a lot and listen to a lot. I'm, I probably heard it. Rob Bell. Is oh, yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. sure. Um, Has he come? He was coming to the tower, right? He is coming to the tower on May 30th. Or, um, excuse me, March 30th. Um, he, I think, does 
he I think he takes maybe a slightly different approach, but he I think does a really good job of that. He's got a podcast um, and he does this in his books as well. But um, his background is that he's a pastor and a preacher. Um, and now he is kind of a I don't know. I don't want to say what he is because I don't know what he's he would call himself. He's a motivational speaker. He's I mean, maybe he's a little bit motivational speaker. He's a little bit author. He's a little bit teacher. He's a little bit. He mm-hmm. yeah. does all kinds of things. But yes. um, storyteller. Um, yeah. He would probably he would probably really like that one. Actually, he would. Yeah. Um, but he'll he'll talk about something and it'll be and it may be like maybe he's talking about like a Bible story. Right. But one of the things he says at the very beginning, he's like, so we're going to talk about the story and it's in the Bible and it's in, you know, James or something. Right. And he'll say, now, if you were someone who has had like a bad experience, like with the Bible, or if you're someone that like the words Bible or God or Christian or whatever are like not language that you're comfortable with or not language that's meaningful for you, or maybe even language that is like actively repulsive to you. He's like, then I want you to completely like forget those terms and just like listen to this story. Yeah. Like just listen to the story and see how this story like strikes you. And if you don't like anytime you hear me say the word God, think the word like life force. Right. Or anytime you hear me say the word Bible, think like old book or something. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, and it's really interesting because I think that's one of the things that makes what he does in terms of helping people, you know, maybe live their lives in a way that looks a little bit different mm-hmm. is by kind of removing, not disavowing, but like saying if that's, those are just words. Right. And if those words aren't helpful, then don't use them. Like evangelical. <laughs> like I, I have probably used the word evangelical more today than I have in the last five years. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to use the word ecumenical at yeah. some point. Oh, yeah. Ecumenical is a great word. I like that one lots better. <laughs> Interfaith I, I like as well. Ooh, yeah. So um, we've got about five minutes left today, and um, I want to kind of bring this home to what we do with Let's Fix This, right? So we take things that are complicated. We try to. We try to take things that are complicated, like politics. If we don't, leave us a review. Actually, no. <laughs> if we don't, don't leave us a review. <laughs> Just talk to us and we'll help. Um, we try to take things that are, that tend to be complicated, like politics and policies, um, th- things that tend to be dis- divisive. Um, and we try to strip some of that away to make them accessible and, um, engaging and maybe even interesting or cool or fun. Um, and, and I think, you know, like when we try to have small group discussions about things to break them down and, and to make it where people can engage in a way that's more meaningful to them. And, um, in some ways I think this is what the church does with like issues of eternity or, you know, whatever. Um, so if you have any like final, uh, life lessons or, uh, suggestions or advice for us and how we do this with politics that are, that is informed by what you do with religion, what, what might that be? Hmm. So I think, I think one of the things that, that I find myself trying to do, uh, I see Jesus trying to do all the time. And when, when Jesus makes use of parables, he takes everyday uh, scenes and circumstances and says, well, here's, this, here's what this looks like when it plays out in a relationship between a father and a son mm-hmm. or a sheep that runs off or a seed. Like he tries to give people um, very tangible handholds so that the transcendent 
can be discovered in the imminent, if, if that makes any sense, the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the within reach. It's kind of like what I think it was Tip O'Neill said a long time ago that all politics are local, mm-hmm. right? It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of my one of my favorites. I I think that I think one of the things that we try to do that I I appreciate that you try to do, and maybe all of us should do it more and more better, as it were, right? Is to try to help people to see how the things that we are talking about, and the votes that we will cast, and the conversations that we perhaps we'll have with legislators they affect they affect everyday things like schools and bus stops and the price of gasoline and and all these kinds of things and i think to the extent that i can and you guys can help the the person walking the streets or driving to soccer practice and all that kind of stuff to the extent that we can help them to see that this word politics is not something to be avoided as if it's an allergy, but it is something that is actually who we are. It, it's so much as who we are. It's probably a little bit like the fish who swims in water probably doesn't recognize, doesn't appreciate the water, just always is in it. I think mm-hmm. similarly, we are always in political situations. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's one of my, like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to try and regale you with my knowledge of Greek because I have no doubt that yours uh, vastly outstrips mine. But one thing I know, right? So politics is from uh, the Greek. It's polity, right? The like the affairs of the people. Polis. Polity, polis. That's what it's like, right? Polis. Polis. Nice. Point. So I said I wasn't going to regale, right? That's right. right? But I will point you that you're wrong. The, uh, The affairs of the people of the city. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How's that for a translation? I never took Greek. I just know that one word. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, so if you are a person, if you are a person and you live in society, which I think is true of all of us, um, maybe not libertarians, but <laughs> but if you're if you are a person who lives in society, like, then politics matters to yeah. you. You are engaged in politics whether you want to be or not. Yeah. Well, and the thing, and this yeah. is probably a little humanist, but I am a, I'm a licensed therapist, so that's kind of where I live, I suppose, but that... Um, the the space and maybe we'll kind of end on this um to me um i don't know if it was you john or doug or one of the guys steve green one of those um growing up again the kind of the um origins of some of my when i like erased everything i knew about faith and then replaced it with what i learned as an adult um that the and and then what i conceptualize on my own is that the kingdom of god in my opinion and I have lots of questions about faith. Um, but if I'm going to use this term, it's like the kingdom of God. I'm less concerned with it being a place that we're going to get to. I'm more concerned with it being a, uh, the space between us right now. So to me, I've, For sure. I, I have always yep. um, conceptualized that the kingdom of God is the space between us, right? Like it is the relationship that I have with Scott, with you, with my legislator, um, with my neighbor, yeah. um, with the homeless person on the street, with the guy that I don't like, or the you know, it is that space and how I, how I bring the kingdom of God, how I make it now, um, is is the same thing I say with let's fix this. That this is the this is this is our chance at influence, or and this is why relationships matter. Is that whether you conceptualize this as like you're doing something holy, or you're just being a good citizen and building a relationship having this connection is is where all change like real change occurs is the space between two people i love that and and you'll not be surprised because i am a 
card carrying. I actually have a card in my wallet that says pastor. So I, I'm a card carrying pastor. I actually have something. But you'll not be surprised then to hear me say, recognizing as we all do that a lot of people are filing out of the church um, because they are, I don't think it's just that they are disappointed. I think they're disenchanted mm-hmm. with, with faith. But faith is supposed to be what you just said, Andy. It is, we have too often described it as the Jesus who lives just inside of me, but I think it's the Jesus that lives between us. Right, right. At least just as much. Mm-hmm. And if folks who have this deep sense of loss because they are so disenchanted and perhaps very deeply disappointed disappointed in their in their Christian leaders, I just want to say to those people that there still is a faith out there that can that can capture your imagination and warm your heart and at the same time equip you to be the person who works on those very important issues of person to person, interpersonal relationships, and that can reach all the way into international uh, relationships. And, and all of it, I think, fits nicely, beautifully within the, the kit of stuff we would call Christianity. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to rename our church Last Chance Church of the Nazarene. We have a bunch of folks who are saying, yep, you're my last stop. If it doesn't work here, I'm not sure where I'm headed next. But uh, that's what we're trying to do. Nice. That's awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, John, thanks so much for being here. That's great. Today. Thanks for having a great me. conversation. Thank you. Scott, thanks just, for being here. Can I say one thing? You may. Just to reiterate, I am not saying that America is on the verge of a soul. <laughs> I just want to make it really, really clear. For those of you listening at home, he's holding a pitchfork and a torch. I don't know that I believe him. <laughs> I'm just saying there are people writing about it, and that's a little sobering. People write about a lot of stuff. That's that's very true. Also, to me, just think about how many people get upset about Harry Potter. That's oh, yeah. not even the Bachelor. <laughs>